Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you. From God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Live your best life. It's a phrase we've heard once or twice in the last several years. If you do a quick internet search on that phrase, it will yield more results than one could reasonably read in an entire lifetime. Life coaches, social media influencers, celebrities, and even theologians are quick to offer their tips to live your best life. However, good luck trying to find a definition because it's something that is defined by the individual as they, as they like to say, seek their own truth. It is defined by the individual as they seek fulfillment. It's more than a repackaging of the positive thinking school of thoughts. It's more of a modern-day hedonism, which is the philosophy that says pleasure is the highest good and should be sought among other things, or more than anything else, to seek pleasure. We typically see that phrase alongside those picturesque images, maybe along a beach, perhaps some exotic location, maybe snuggled up in a cozy fireplace in the middle of winter, and the like. Christians even try to sanctify this same idea by saying, We praise God from whom all blessings flow because God wants you to live your best life, we hear them say. Again, it is followed by those very same pictures. But one has to ask, how does this mindset, how does this idea of living your best life fit when tragedy strikes? How does this fit when there's an unexpected death of a loved one? How does this fit when there's a terminal diagnosis? How does this fit when a natural disaster wipes out everything you own? How does this fit when the market crashes and your life savings is gone in an instant? Sure, it works great when when you're in good health, when the economy is booming, when gas is cheap, When everybody has a job, this idea seems rather attractive. However, as soon as those things disappear, so does the illusion of a best life. You never see that phrase or that hashtag along with a funeral or along with an illness as they sit in the doctor's office. It does not take long to realize the empty promise of hedonism. It does not take long to realize the empty promise of positive thinking and the 10 steps to living your best life. As Christians, we live a different sort of life. We live our life in Christ. We live our lives in the body of the pierced and forsaken one that we just read about in Isaiah. We take up our cross and we follow him. For Christ himself does not call us to live a best life. He says in Matthew chapter 10, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Now we have to think about what it means to bear a cross. 
A cross is not something that you take up voluntarily. It is not a cross of your own choosing. It's one that's thrust upon you. If you were to decide to take on, for example, monastic vows in service to Christ, that isn't exactly a cross to bear. It's a law that you have put upon yourself. It's like some of those church bodies that have decided to abstain from alcohol, dancing, and the like. It's a law that they have put upon themselves. They like to say as they're abstaining from drinking, abstaining from dancing, abstaining from, from some of those things in life where they, they throw their head back and they tell you how miserable they are because they can't enjoy those things and how much of a cross that they're bearing at the time. But the danger lies in burdening the conscience of faithful believers. They may fear losing their salvation if they violate this law that they put upon themselves. It can also lead to a works righteousness where they believe that they are saved because they abstain from those things. Even if they believe they're contributing towards their own salvation by doing such things, it takes away from the glory of Christ. And again, it burdens the conscience unnecessarily. No, a cross is something that is thrust upon you. It is something not of your own choosing. It is something like when we read the Apostle Paul, who prays countless times that this thorn may be removed, yet Christ tells him and us that his grace is sufficient. Paul never names that thorn, and we're left to wonder. We too can apply that word of God to our own thorn, to our own suffering. This is one of those cases where it is appropriate to allegorize and ask ourselves what thorns we have in our lives. For you see, modern Christianity has lost a firm grasp on this theology of suffering. We flee from it at every chance. We assume that all suffering is evil and must be eliminated and we must be avoided at all costs. But Christ himself tells us, suffering will come. For our suffering conforms us to this suffering servant. It conforms us to Christ our Lord. Some of our suffering is because of our own sin. And this sort of suffering we can tolerate much easier because we know we brought it on ourselves. But it's a little bit more difficult to bear the results of somebody else's sin or the result of sin in general. When a disease strikes close to home, when a natural disaster strikes, when we get that terminal diagnosis, we struggle and we ask, why me? What have I done to deserve this? Is God maybe angry with me that I am receiving this sort of suffering in my life? Again, this suffering conforms us to Christ. Christ suffered as a result of my sins. It was nothing that he himself deserved. He did not deserve to be handed over to the officials. He did not deserve to be beaten, to be mocked, to be despised, to be crucified. And yet the lamb went uncomplaining forth. 
To bear the name of Christian or to be a little Christ means to suffer. It means to take up your cross and follow him. Because we follow Christ, we suffer. Because we follow Christ, we are hated by this world. Because we follow Christ, we are hated by the adversary. And he takes every, every opportunity to try to get us to leave the faith. And in the same way that the devil continually tempted Jesus to forego the cross and his suffering, he does the same to us. The devil would have you lay down your cross. He would have you lay down your faith and follow him rather than Christ. He would have you medicate your way out of suffering. He would have you retreat from the world to avoid suffering. He would have you remove the cause of your suffering, whatever it might be. He would convince you that it's better, better to euthanize your loved one rather than see them suffer. He would have you terminate that pregnancy to avoid any possible suffering that might come or any inconvenience. Our temptation is always to take Christ off of the cross as well and to sanitize the faith. We want it to be neat. We want it to be clean. We want a salvation that comes without blood, a salvation that comes without suffering. We want that cheap grace. We want a faith where everybody gets the desires of their hearts and they do get to live that best life. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh all tell us to avoid suffering, whatever the cost. They all tell us to flee from suffering. Again, they want you to lay down your cross and flee from Christ and his suffering. The devil, the world, and our sinful flesh all want you to believe that every ache, every pain, every discomfort and trouble is evidence that God does not exist. And if he does not exist, or if, excuse me, if he does exist, they want you to believe that he's taking out his anger on you through your suffering. They tell us that a loving God would abhor suffering and relieve you of any pain at all. Well, though partially right. For Christ did not run from suffering, but embraced it. He set his face toward Jerusalem, and he bore the weight of your sin to relieve you of the guilt of your sin. He bore the weight of your sin so that you would enjoy a sinless paradise in the resurrection. For Christ is not unmoved by your suffering. We see this throughout the Gospels. Every time Christ sees suffering, he's moved by it. He heals the sick. He feeds the hungry. He's moved by your suffering and provides a healing and relief from suffering that is far beyond anything that we might ever deserve or experience in this life. We read in Romans chapter 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For a while we were still weak. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ sees your suffering, and he knows exactly what it means to suffer. And he provides more than we could ever hope for. For when the smallest part of the body of Christ suffers, The whole body, including the head, feels that pain. Knowing what it means to suffer, Christ earned salvation for you. For in the resurrection, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. He will wipe away every tear. He sees your suffering and he puts it to an end for all of eternity. Dear saints in Christ, we do not live our best life through 10 easy steps that we find on the internet. We do not live our best life through financial stability or once we are debt free. We do not live our best life by visiting exotic locations, capturing every moment on social media. We live our best life in the body of the pierced and forsaken one. Like Paul, we learn to embrace and even rejoice in our suffering. For our suffering, all suffering, is evidence that Christ is conforming us to himself. He is making us a part of the body of the pierced and the forsaken one. All suffering can serve as a witness to those outside the faith. When they see the way we approach and endure suffering, It provides a powerful witness. And they wonder how we are able to endure and even give thanks to God in the midst of suffering. Suffering also serves to provide evidence that the world is not the way it should be. It is evident at every turn that this world is broken. All of creation groans in anxious anticipation of the return of Christ. All creation suffers as a result of our first parents' transgressions. Death in all its forms is the result of sin. Thanks be to Christ that through his suffering, death, and resurrection, he defeated sin, death, and the devil. This suffering servant removed the cause of death and therefore gives to us everlasting life. Every time we look upon the crucifix, we are reminded of the beauty of this suffering. We are reminded that Christ suffered for our salvation. We are reminded that those who bear the name Christian likewise suffer as we are molded and conformed into the likeness of our Savior. We are reminded that in the resurrection, there will be no more suffering. Therefore, 
Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for us. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, keep our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.